Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. I invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Acts chapter 4. We will pick up in verse 32 where we left off last week. You know, crazy things sometimes happen at church. For you, this may have been the craziest moment that you've experienced in church earlier today. But strange things happen if you look online you can see kids cannonballing into the baptism they're in a baptism service i have a good friend of mine who's a pastor who had two ladies within his church pass away in the same week and was doing the funeral service and got all the way through the first funeral service, and the family of the lady came up and said, we feel like we didn't even know our mom. And he had done the funeral service for the lady the next day that he was supposed to do. Crazy things happen at church sometimes. What we're going to look at this morning is... Just a strange story, a strange event that happened in the life of the early church, one that, you know, as a pastor, you just, you can't make stuff up. And as we look, I mean, I'm just sitting back thinking as we looked last week at the sermon last week, and then we saw God show up in an amazing way. And then as we look at the message this week, kind of takes a bit of a turn, and yet i don't think it's by accident that God has placed us here looking at this passage of Scripture in light of what we just found out earlier. I want to read for us this morning the text beginning in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4 going down through verse 11 of chapter 5. Luke writes, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet." And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge... He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? 
You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Church, aren't you glad I didn't, we didn't pass the offering plate now? <laughs> right? So this story, as we read it, seems a bit strange, and there's a little bit about it that we say, gosh, is, is that what God is like? That, I mean, people just drop dead because they didn't give the offering. I mean, is that really what we're looking at here? Is that the focus? Is that the point? Is that what is trying to be communicated in this passage? And the answer to that is not really, but kind of. So let's talk about it, all right? So this morning, as we look, I want you to write down this main idea because this will frame our time together this morning. The heart of the matter is always the heart. The heart of the matter is always the heart. Now, here's where we've been so far in this series is we've seen God work in incredible ways in the life of the early church. We witnessed Jesus before he ascended to heaven, give the commission to his disciples to go and make other disciples. Go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is when people receive the gospel of Jesus Christ personally in their own lives, when they trust Jesus, is when their lives will be transformed. At every juncture, we have seen God work in incredible ways in the life of the early church. We've seen Him do incredible things. We saw Him pour out His Spirit in Acts chapter 2. We saw on that day 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We saw last week in our message a man being healed and the reality that as a result of that, thousands more come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen even in the midst of persecution, the believers praying and trusting that God was going to work in amazing and incredible ways. That has been what we've walked through. And then we come to a peculiar text. One that I've heard pastors attempt to explain away 
Say it's just a misunderstanding, that it's just a coincidence that what happened happened. Her pastor say, eh, I'm just not sure. I want to talk about this because people kind of get antsy when you talk about money, right? And yet I want you to notice the reality that we encounter in these verses this morning. Verse 32 through 37 of Acts chapter 4. What we see is the fruit of the gospel at work in the lives of these early believers. The fruit of the gospel at works. And the reality is the fruit of the gospel always brings life. So notice with me as we look at the description that we see in verse 32. The full number of those, that's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have responded by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have been saved from their sins, their lives have been transformed. The full number of those who believed, listen to this, were of one heart and soul. These believers were absolutely unified in the mission that God had given them. You see, here's the thing that happens when believers are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is incredible unity that takes place in the body. And so for these early believers, they were unified, they were together, they had a mission, they had locked arms and were chasing down the mission that God had given them to make disciples of all nations. And part of that, as we've seen earlier in Acts chapter 2, is that they recognized that around them were those who were incredibly in need. Those who, for whatever reason, were not able to provide for themselves, oftentimes as a result of them converting to Christianity, of them trusting in Jesus Christ and losing jobs, losing positions, losing family as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming their lives. And so not only were they in a spirit of unity because of the gospel, they were also in a spirit of generosity. Notice what it says. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. That they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Listen to verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. These early believers were incredibly generous with what they were entrusted with. Now, I want to just say to us this morning, let's be reminded of the fact that everything that we own God owns. Amen? Everything that we own is God's. God has simply entrusted it to us, given it to us, said to us, be a good steward of everything that you have been given. For these early believers, they were 
looking around them and they said there are needs that have to be met. There are fellow believers that are around us in this church who are not able to provide for themselves. And so they looked and they said, how can we be incredibly generous with what God has given to us and how can we share that with them so that anyone who is in need has that need met? See, the truth for every single one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are on the receiving end of the greatest gift that has ever been given. God has been so incredibly generous to us. God has given us far more than we deserve. God has given us far more than we could ask or imagine in salvation in Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you have received the greatest gift that will ever be given to you. And if you're here this morning, And you've never taken that step of receiving the gift that God has given to you. There is no gift that anyone has ever offered to you that is better than the gift this morning that God offers to you. That is His Son, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sin. To take you from being in a kingdom of darkness to being in the kingdom of light. To take you from dead in your sins to alive in Christ. The greatest gift that you could receive today is the gift of salvation freely offered to you. See, the reason that believers are generous is because we serve a God who is generous. I don't know if you know this or not, but... Christians are some of the most generous people on the planet. If you ask people who run nonprofit organizations, what are the organizations that seem to thrive? What are the organizations that show up at the door when tragedy happens, when natural disasters happen? Who shows up first? It's Christians who often show up first. Why do they show up first? Because they have received the greatest gift. God has been generous to them. God has been generous to us. And we show up first so that we can be generous just like God is. That's what we see playing out here in the early church. We see that there's incredible unity. We see that there's incredible generosity. And we see that there's incredible intentionality. They have one mission. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. One purpose. To make Jesus Christ known. Church family, that is our purpose. That is our mission. We will not deviate from that. There is nothing greater that we could proclaim every single week. There's nothing greater in our own lives that we can proclaim to our neighbors and to our co-workers. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed our lives, we can't help but proclaim what Christ has done in us to people that we know that Christ Christ can do that same thing in their lives. I have no doubt this morning that there is someone, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you know can come up in your mind in this moment, they need 
a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't need a better job. They don't need a better marriage. They don't need better kids. They don't need more money. What they desperately need is Jesus. And church, we have the greatest news that has ever been proclaimed. We have experienced the greatest act of grace that has ever been done. We have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. And God's desire is that like the early church, we would be incredibly intentional to proclaim what Christ has done in us. We've said this before, you will have an opportunity, I have no doubt, this afternoon. Whether you go eat at a restaurant or you run by the grocery store on your way home or you are going to the ball field or wherever you go, there's going to be an opportunity that the Lord puts in front of your path of someone who needs encouragement, someone who needs to know that there is hope in this life and that hope is found in Jesus. Why did the early church grow the way that it grew? Why did people's lives continue to be transformed? Because these believers' lives have been transformed by the gospel. They were unified together. They were incredibly generous. And they were intentional about making sure the main thing stayed the main thing. See, the reality is for us, when Christ transforms our heart, our actions are transformed as a result. When Christ transforms our hearts, it changes the way that we live our lives. It changes the unity in the body. It changes the generosity factor in our own lives. It changes what we are intentional about doing with our lives. The early church did that. There's an example that they give in verse 36. This man named Barnabas, who we'll encounter even later through the book of Acts, as he goes on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. But it says, Joseph, who was also called by the Apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the Apostles' feet. And we see just a quick snapshot of this man whose life had been transformed by the gospel who said, I want to be incredibly generous with what God has blessed me with. And so he sells this field, he brings the proceeds, he lays it at the apostles' feet so that it can be distributed to those who are in need. Then the story turns. And then we encounter a couple a man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. I want you to notice what the text says. They also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, Ananias kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you got the picture of what's going on, and we'll find out just a little bit deeper into the story what is going on behind the scenes, but evidently what's transpiring here is this 
couple have a field, they have a piece of property, and they sell that piece of property, and they have already worked it out in their minds that we are going to come and to say that we sold this piece of property and we're bringing everything, the proceeds of that sale, and we're laying it at the apostles' feet. But we've already had a conversation behind the scenes where we're going to say that, but we're actually not going to do that. We're actually going to hold back part of it, not give all of it, but act as if we did give all of it. So that's the picture of what's going on. Peter, in verse 3, said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? I want you to notice in verse 4, while it remained unsold, this is Peter's continued conversation, did it not remain your own? Peter says, listen, we didn't coerce you to take this piece of property and sell it. It was your piece of property to do with whatever you wanted to do with. He says, not only that, after it was sold, was it not also at your disposal? So the piece of property was yours. You didn't have to sell it. And then after you did sell it, the money was yours and you could have done with it what you wanted to do with it. I want you to notice what's not going on here. What's not going on here is... Peter saying, we know what you have, and you better give it to us. It's not what's going on. Peter, after that, says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Why is it that you worked so diligently to sell this property and to get the proceeds and then to portray as if you were giving all of it to the Lord for His purposes. You know, as you look back, here's one of the interesting things that if you rewind back to Jesus' ministry as He is interacting with the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders of the day. One of the things that Jesus calls the Pharisees out for is doing things like this, where they would actually come in to the place of worship and they would blow a trumpet as they went to give their offering to say, look at me. Watch me. Look at what I'm giving. Look at what I'm doing. And so here, as Peter is calling them out, he's doing the exact same thing that Jesus did with the Pharisees. Saying, listen, You have a heart problem. That's the problem here. The problem is more than money. The problem is more than the field. The problem is more than just the immediate circumstances that surround it. And that's what Peter is getting at. The problem is deeper than the surface level. The problem is Ananias and Sapphira's heart. See, when the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to work in our lives, it transforms us from within. 
it begins working and renovating our hearts so that our actions match what our heart looks like. But the same thing is true of sin in our lives. Sin in our lives bears the fruit of death. Now I want you to notice what happens for Ananias and Sapphira. Peter says, you've not lied to man, but to God. Notice verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. I want you to hear this this morning. God takes sin very seriously. God does not wink at our sin. God does not gloss over our sin. God does not set His standard lower as a result of our sin. God takes sin very, very seriously. But I want you to hear this this morning as well. Because God takes sin so seriously, He sent His Son, Jesus, to save us from our sin. None of us can be perfect. Elbow your spouse and say amen. None of us are perfect. None of us can be perfect. That's the reason that we need Jesus. He is the only one who has been perfect. He is the only true sacrifice that can save us from our sins. And because God takes sin so seriously, God also provides a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. And here's the crux of the problem for Ananias and Sapphira at this point. They have not understood the incredible grace of God. They have not truly understood how dangerous sin is. They have not truly understood how Jesus can save them from their sin. As a result, Ananias drops dead. Now here's the question. Michael, I am probably not coming back to church next week (laughs) if I'm going to drop dead. Is that the way God operates? Is that what God does? And at all times during the offering, right? But I want you to hear this. I want you to, to understand God is very much trying to get the attention of the early church, trying to help them understand just how serious sin is and just how important the work of the early church is in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's all be honest this morning. If we are not careful, we will set up things in our own lives that take precedence and priority over Jesus. For Ananias and Sapphira, their sin was greed. Their sin was pride. They thought that they could do this and nobody would ever find out. And their sin was deceit. They thought they could lie about it and nobody would be the wiser. But I think the question for us this morning is, what is that sin in our lives that we wink at, that we think is not really that big of a deal? 
that we may not drop dead physically here in church this morning, but the truth is, it is killing us. We may not think it's such a big deal, but the reality is that Satan has come to steal and to kill and destroy in our lives. And if left unchecked, that's exactly what sin will do in our lives. Like cancer, it will invade every aspect of our being and it will destroy us from within. The men rose in verse 6, wrapped Ananias up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter said to her, tell me, did you sell the land for so much? She said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? The feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. The young man came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Here's the tragedy. That didn't have to happen. That event that transpired didn't have to happen. And here's where the crux of the matter is. It's always a matter of the heart. The reality that for every single one of us, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus forgives us of our sin. We don't have to stay in our sin. If you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me just say to you, you don't have to stay dead in your sin. You say, Michael, I didn't think it was that bad. It's that bad. They didn't think it was that bad. Sin is killing you And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the opportunity set before you this morning is to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Christ did on the cross, what His resurrection secured for us, to be saved from your sin, to be put in relationship with your heavenly Father once again. To not allow sin to kill you. Believer, let me remind us as well that in our lives, we can also allow sin to take hold and to take root. We can also allow sin to knock us off course from pursuing the Lord the way that He intends for us to pursue Him. And I don't know what that sin particularly looks like in your life, but what I do know is that, believer, that sin in your life is killing your relationship with the Lord. That sin in your life 
Though you've been saved, though you've been transformed, that sin in your life, believer, will fracture that relationship that God intends to have with you. God intends for you to grow. God intends for you to flourish in your walk with Him. But sin is the barrier that for the believer stops the ability for that to happen doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that God's work through His Holy Spirit in your life is not able to do what it should be doing. And hear me this morning. God loves you too much for you to stay allowing sin to kill your walk with Him. God loves you too much, so much so that He sent His Son, Jesus. For this morning, you need to be reminded of all that Christ has done for you. You say, Michael, hang on just a second. I'll clean things up and come back next Sunday, and maybe I won't fall dead in the service. You can't clean yourself up enough. Christ is the one who cleans you. And oftentimes when there's sin in our lives, we want to run from the Lord when the Lord says, run to me. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I will restore that relationship with you that I desire to use to transform you and transform this world through you. See, the reality for us this morning is that this passage of Scripture is not primarily about giving, even though giving is an element of it. And as Christians, we should be incredibly generous. We've seen that as the gospel of Jesus Christ is at work within us. But this passage of Scripture is primarily about our hearts. It's primarily about what is it in our lives in this moment that would halt the work of God in and through us? God had a mission to accomplish with His church. God took that mission and takes that mission very, very seriously. We have an opportunity this morning if we've never trusted in Jesus Christ to be forgiven of our sins, to become a child of God today, if we have trusted Christ, but there's sin that is present in our lives for us to confess that sin and turn from it and run to the arms of a heavenly Father who loves us, whose Son died for us. The aftermath of this strange, bizarre scenario we'll see next week is that the church flourishes. That more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That the church takes very seriously the mission that God has given them. That the church takes very seriously living holy lives in this world that we are called to make an impact in. And we see God do Amazing, incredible things through His church. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning.
Close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. I have no doubt that there are some here today. And for you today, this is an opportunity where you have heard who Jesus Christ is. What Jesus Christ has done for you. Dying on the cross for your sins. Offering to you today to be forgiven. To be made right with God. And the reason that you are in this room today is God knew exactly what you needed to hear. And His desire is that you would respond this morning in faith, trusting Him to be saved from your sin. And you may be here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, that you've trusted Him as your Savior, but for you this morning, there is sin that is running rampant in your life. And the reality for you is you are reaping in this moment and have been reaping over these last months or maybe even years. The result of what sin does in our lives. It destroys us. It destroys our relationships. It destroys our walk with the Lord. And you have an opportunity this morning to come back to the arms of your Heavenly Father, to turn from your sin, to confess and repent, to once again experience the joy and the abundance of a relationship with Him like you used to have. Father, I ask you this morning to pierce our hearts, to use your word in such a way that it reminds us of the truth of who you are, of what you are trying to do in our lives. It reminds us of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It reminds us that sin is not something you take lightly but also not something that we are without hope because of. But your son, Jesus, is our hope. We can be forgiven. So Father, this morning, for those who are here that have not taken that step of trusting Jesus as their Savior, would you give them the boldness to do that today? For those that are here who are believers, but who are walking away from you in this moment, where sin has taken root in their lives. Would you grab their attention? Would you call them to repentance? Would you allow them to see your open arms ready to receive them back in relationship once again? Father, use this time in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.